This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Some players wore them and a few players didn't. They said the reason that they shunned Pride Night logos on their uniforms was faith-based. The headline from the Washington Post, Raised players make faith-based decision to shun Pride Night logos. How's it being covered and are there any holes in the media coverage? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Who are the media coverage actually targeting when telling this story about the Rays? Well, it's that's a really interesting situation, and I'm afraid we're going to have to ask if this story got the coverage it received because this was in Florida and in light of the recent conflicts between the state and Disney. Because the most important part of the story, and it makes it into the press coverage, but then there's no follow-up questions, there's nothing that digs deeper into it, was that the management of the Tampa Bay Rays left it up to the players whether they would or would not wear the pride colors on their uniform. And the fact that management set that standard or gave that option, immediately I wanted to know what other other teams in the leagues were doing. Because the issue of what is on a uniform in professional sports is a very legal and contentious issue in many, many cases. I mean, we're we're talking you know, sports that will determine how you do or you don't wear your socks, you know, what's on the side of your shoes, whether written or put there by a professional company that manufactures sporting goods. All of these issues with uniforms are big, big deals. And you know, for example, that Tampa Bay had to be selling the Pride merchandise because that's online. I immediately wanted to know what was happening in other stadiums. At the very least, we needed to know when is Pride Night in Miami, you know, in the other Florida stadium. I predict that will now be covered because the big issue here, to some degree, is not just whether the players can be talked into wearing the emblems. And I think that's what a lot of listeners are going to think about this story. This really, to me, is between the league the networks, coverage, and the management of the Tampa Bay race. And the fact that Tampa Bay chose to allow players to make their own decision is crucial. Now picture the coverage if they had made it mandatory. If they had said, this is the team uniform tonight. You have to wear it. Now, I, I follow other teams, including the Baltimore Orioles, my team, you know, when I lived in Baltimore for a dozen years, and I still follow that carefully. And I know there are religious believers on the O's 
that on Pride Nights have worn the same uniform as everybody else that included some symbol that it was Pride Night. Then again, the management of the Baltimore Orioles are strong Democrats and very outspoken progressives on a host of different issues. And Baltimore is in Maryland, which is a different place than Florida these days. So you can see some of the questions that are spinning out of this from me. I expected, frankly, more coverage of this story, and I, I think it may not be over. It kind of depends on what happens now, especially if something blows up in Miami. So let's talk about the Washington Post story in particular. I know that you said there's some things missing there that you would like to have answers to, and maybe there will be a follow-up. Anything else missing on the religion angle? Well, some of the coverage stressed that the player who spoke to this issue, a pitcher named Jason Adam, that he stressed, you know, faith, faith-based decision. And he, you know, he gives some explicitly Christian language Yet none of the stories tell us anything about the religious connections or affiliations of the players who made this decision not to wear the pride colors. The fact that we got his language and several stories mentioned that management, here we go again, there's the critical issue, management chose him to speak to the media. So once this thing began to happen, it's very apparent that the management of this baseball team knew they had a situation on their hands. And they presented a player to speak for one side of the debate, and another player, happens to be a superstar, to speak for the other side of this situation. And I'd, I'd be really interested again in knowing, did these players take part in the press conference after the game? Were media explicitly told that they were not to be asking any more questions about this situation? Because what we see when we look at this coverage is pretty much the same quotes from everybody. Although Fox, of course it would be Fox, Fox had some follow-up work watching on Twitter, looking for reactions and for the reactions of a, of a very interesting and important player who kind of came to the defense of his teammates as well. But again, I keep coming back to this point. Management ran this show. So the question to me is, why did management choose to make it an option for players, as opposed to what I suspect has happened in other stadiums where management has said, this is the uniform for tonight. You are our employee. You will wear the uniform, which would have created a much more of a legal conflict and would have cranked the story up another notch. What is a future story angle on this well, issue? Like I said, we really need to know I guarantee you there's a pride night in every other Major League Baseball stadium. I think we need follow-up on that. At the very least, what's happening? I mean, there it is. It's in every zip code in the Major Leagues. You've got a potential follow-up story. It, I would also be interested in knowing similar conflicts that have occurred in sports. 
one of the top defenders in women's soccer. I'm struggling to remember her name right now. But about two years ago, she declined to wear the Pride logo and ended up being omitted from the national soccer team of the United States. They actually took her off the national team. And the stories I read made it very clear that she was one of the top defenders in the sport and under normal circumstances would have been on that team that got to go to the Women's World Cup. I believe it might have also applied to her being whether or not she got to participate on the team in the Olympics. So we, we've had some similar stories. I'll be surprised if we don't see a follow-up report in media about this issue, especially if it comes up again, and especially if it comes up again in Florida. Is this a sports story? Yeah, well, it certainly is, but it's a it's a broadcasting story. It's a merchandising story. It is a religion story. And like I said, I would have been very interested in knowing if all of these players who chose not to wear the logo, were they all evangelical? Were there any Roman Catholics among that lot? What was the makeup of this group of players? What other factors, whether it was ethnicity or race or whatever else, factored into this? We basically got statements from both sides, a little bit maybe of Twitter reaction, and that was it. So this is a sports management story when business and broadcasting and merchandising collided with religion. And we know almost no details of any of those other factors. And I find that fascinating because we're dealing again here with an LGBTQ issue. Normally the press dives on those. And if you followed this on Twitter, you saw some pretty predictable reactions. The very outspoken broadcaster, one of the former superstars of ESPN, who's had a, a checkered history in broadcasting since then, Keith Olbermann, tweeted out, show me where Jesus said this, Jason Adam of the Rays. You can't because he didn't. And he's talking about his defense of his decisions being based on what Jesus teaches about sexuality. Tell me how you square not encouraging heredity with making the people you're shaming feel safe. You can't. Maybe you should read the Bible once or twice. There's an interesting story or angle in there. Last time I checked, where are we right now on the heredity issue? Is sexual orientation a matter of heredity at this moment in time? Or is it an evolving matter of gender identity? I think it, at this point, it depends on what you want to argue for. I was born this way works sometimes, and other times it's abandoned. So, Because born this way would imply something in DNA, right? Or And at the very least, kind of a battle between different factors in DNA. Yet we're also being told right now that DNA is totally irrelevant to the discussion of of male and female outside of very small, documented for decades, a very small group of people who wrestle with gender dysphoria. And that's clearly a mental issue, or at least it was for decades, uh, and the way it was treated, even by the strongest advocates of the trans movement at Johns Hopkins University in Maryland and 
and elsewhere. So this was an interesting quote. I never saw, I, I, I looked for it, I never saw a hashtag that got attached to this story that might have let me know what some other media figures had to say about it. And Keith Oberman's comment is utterly predictable if you followed his career, other than the whole maybe you should read the Bible once or twice sort of thing. But that's a long-standing part of the battle between the religious left and the religious right. What did Jesus mandate or not mandate about sexual behavior, activity, marriage, and sexuality? And of course, depending on what church you're in, how the early church set those standards within the first century or two in the church's life is utterly irrelevant to this debate. So I keep coming back to the same point. Why did the Ray's management make this decision, and how did their decision contrast with decisions made in other baseball stadiums by different managers? Let me give you a parallel. This jumped into my head. Surely you've noticed that in the wake of the Florida situation with Disney, there has been some coverage lately of media relations teams are beginning to tell the leaders of massive corporations, maybe you don't want to get involved with this Supreme Court decision on abortion. Maybe you want to be quiet about this issue because what we're finding is it's a very divisive issue in the American public, and it's an issue that the public will take action on with their feet, their hands, and their wallets and credit cards. So I'm wondering if on the Gulf Coast side of Florida, which in my experience is not quite as liberal as the Atlantic side of Florida, and the closer you get to the middle and north of Florida, the more conservative things get. A lot of religious conservatives in Orlando, and a lot of people from Orlando drive in for games in Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. So wouldn't it be interesting to know if the management of the Tampa Bay Rays was sitting on a study that said, we probably don't want a protracted fight with some players over this issue because we don't have the biggest attendance in the major league as it is. Maybe we should be careful. Shouldn't reporters then be asking the management of their local teams if the players are required to wear uniforms that, with gay pride logos? That's the obvious follow-up. That's where people in other major league cities have got to go. And I would also like to know if, like I said, the uh, reporters, broadcasters, etc., who covered the post-game press conference, were they actually, I'm doing air quotes right now, were they actually, air quote, encouraged not to ask follow-up questions about this other than the, the kind of the minuscule questions, the tiny questions we get that you can see in these stories? That's a must because it's the holy month of pride, and this is now going to be in every single stadium in the majors. Most Major League Baseball teams have a chaplain. Would that be oh, a good source? That would be interesting. Most teams now these days may have two. One chaplain who's Roman Catholic probably speaks fluent Spanish, and then they probably have a Protestant chaplain 
as well who may or may not speak Spanish. That would certainly be an interesting follow-up on that. After this happened, Tampa Bay reliever Nick Anderson kind of came out on social media with an interesting follow-up question that said, it's astonishing to me how people don't understand that different beliefs exist. And because you have different beliefs, in no way, shape, or form does that mean you look down on that individual or think they're lesser. You can love everybody and have different beliefs. When I say differing beliefs, I'm talking about the people who believe everyone should wear something. And if you don't, you should burn and are a terrible person or whatever name you want to call them. I was also saying that just because you don't wear maybe a said patch doesn't mean you think those people should burn and are terrible people. I never once said I thought gay people weren't born gay, Anderson continued, or that homophobia was right. And I think he's reacting to the Oberman quote, in, in my personal opinion. Once again, the follow-up work was done by Fox. I haven't seen much follow-up elsewhere. I know that my team, the St. Louis Cardinals, has a Christian night during its home games. And I'm wondering if, just as a, perhaps a thought experiment, one of these players who's objected to the Pride logo and said, look, I, I'm not going to wear it, the team is letting me off on this case, could say, hey, on Christian night, should the team make everybody put a cross on their shoulder? Well, they're not going to do that. The whole issue, by the way, the safe phrase apparently is not Christian night or church night, it's faith night. If you want to do any searches online for coverage related to this subject, the key thing you have to put inside quote marks to kind of limit your searches, you need to search for faith night. And faith night has caused some problems in the past, some discussions, some arguments. I'm looking at a story right this moment, and one of the things that usually happens here is you end up with faith night, and then they'll invite like a um, a Christian rock band to do a show. Now, when things get really pushy, especially in minor league baseball, you start having giveaways, in some cases like biblical bobblehead figures, and some places might give away Bibles. If you want a Bible, they'll give you a Bible. Jerseys with Bible verses on the back that caught the eye of the New York Times over a decade and a half ago. So I don't know what the current status of Faith Night is. I know that, once again, in Baltimore, I've attended games on a faith night, just either by coincidence, I happened to pick that night to go to the ballpark, or whatever. But faith night is a controversial issue, and I guarantee you that if management decided to put Bible verses on the back of the uniforms of players in major league zip codes in Dallas and New York and Atlanta, wherever else, I guarantee you that there would be some blow-ups about that. But there again, what I'm finding online, I'm not seeing a lot of recent coverage of Faith Nights. So it's possible that Faith Night has kind of gone undercover, and maybe it's it's not as explicit a deal as it was there for a while, or maybe it's not explicit in the big leagues anymore. But that's an interesting question. Now, if 
management required someone to put on a jersey that is the biblical reference for I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to Christ except to God except through me. You could imagine there would be people who would protest wearing that. And by the way, I would argue that they have every right not to wear it. But this is an employment workplace issue. And those have become a very big divisive topic in recent years. To me, the ultimate example of that recently would be Colin Kaepernick, a story that's still ongoing. He's still not back in the National Football League. And my own personal opinion is based on his level of play at the time he departed. I think it's ludicrous to argue that Colin Kaepernick is not good enough to be a backup quarterback in the National Football League. But he was poison from the view of a lot of management in terms of the controversy he would steer up among fans if you had him on your roster. Now, can you name another player whose football career ended, some would say, pretty quick because he had become a controversial figure in football? And, yeah, he liked to kneel, too. Tim Tebow comes to mind. That would come to mind. But Tim Tebow kneeling ticked off one group of NFL fans. Colin Kaepernick kneeling and the timing of his kneeling ticked off a different group of Major League fans, National Football League fans. And thus, we saw these you rarely saw those two guys connected in mainstream coverage when when I think there were some interesting parallels. At the time when the Colin Kaepernick story began, I wrote quite a few uh, posts about it at Get Religion. And notice, for example, in Baltimore, the first ballot Hall of Famer, the, the Minister of Defense, as he was called in Baltimore, or God's linebacker. That was the phrase for Ray Lewis in Baltimore, God's linebacker, a very outspoken Christian. He joined the Baltimore Ravens during that period of time on the sideline, and he kneeled during the national anthem, but he kneeled while very obviously praying and said he was praying for everybody that was involved in this controversy and praying for national unity and praying for police reform and praying about a whole lot of things. So how one interprets the symbol of kneeling became a big issue in previous controversies. In this case, this Tampa Bay story is a collision with something that's just as volatile as race, and that's the current status of the sexual revolution and the degree to which media and corporations and major economic powers in our life are going to take sides in this debate and limit who gets to speak and who doesn't and why they choose to censor is not the right word because we're talking about private companies, why they choose to silence or cancel certain individuals. I've been following on Twitter the possibility that Ryan Anderson, the ethicist whose book, When Harry Became Sally, I believe that's the name of it, a book on the trans era, 
his book is you know was banned on Amazon. I'm seeing some posts that his new book on abortion, written with another with a very strong pro-life journalist who I believe writes for the National Review. Perhaps that name will pop into your head. It's not popping into mine. But on Twitter, I'm seeing some people that say that book has now vanished from Amazon. So once again, we have corporate power, media power, money power colliding with the rights or the faith and beliefs and actions of religious believers, whereas the government really isn't a factor in this story, is it? I mentioned my St. Louis Cardinals. I seem to remember, this was probably less than 10 years ago, there was a kind of mysterious cross appearing on the mound, sometimes a Jesus fish Mm. appearing next to it. And at the time, one of our upcoming pitchers said, it's always there. No one would admit to where it was coming from. The grounds crew wasn't putting it there, but someone was Mm. putting it there. And it really was kind of a kerfuffle in the St. Louis area for quite some time. There were columnists in the local papers who were you know, talking about how uncomfortable it made them to see this cross scratched into the the mud of the mound. Well, once again, I guess freedom of expression, and I guarantee you management considered that to be a tense situation. And you notice that one of the people who blasted the decision of the Ray players not to wear the logos, that the, one of the players who came out most openly as attacking them was St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty called the whole thing a joke, an absolute joke on Twitter. So I I was traveling at the time and couldn't just camp out on Twitter. And like I said, I couldn't find a logical hashtag for following this controversy and to see what other players did or didn't say. I would also argue that in Major League Baseball, the scarcity of African-American players in Major League Baseball might add a, another note of tension to this story in the sense that if you had religiously conservative African-American players and at some point you attempted to force them to wear Pride logo materials on game night if management chose to do that, I could see how that might raise some eyebrows in the very racially charged time that we're in right now because the lack of African-American players in contemporary baseball is, to me, one of the most interesting and tragic stories in baseball. And I, I like Major League Baseball a lot. paid very close attention to it during the years that I lived in the Baltimore-Washington area because we had the Washington Nationals franchise was born, and I was one of the people who felt that they should have named the team after the famous Washington, D.C. Negro Leagues team, the Gray Sox, as a salute to the powerful African-American community of Washington, D.C., a lot of whom would be churchgoers, and the fact that, frankly, they, they need black fans They need black families to come out to baseball games, and they need young African-American children to feel that it's safe for them to go into baseball and that they are welcomed in baseball. But that's hard for that to be true if you're continuing to crank up a kind of morality warfare 
over issues related to sexuality and other issues that I would stress are debated and divide black churches just as much as they divide white churches. The, the media during the years I lived in the Washington area never got a handle on the fact that there was such a thing as a black evangelical or Pentecostal megachurch and that those churches were probably not the political environment automatically that you thought they were, especially when issues touched on moral teachings in the church. What do you think our mutual friend Rod Dreher <laughs> would have to say about this story? Well, to me, the single most important thing that Rod has said that nobody seems to have noticed that he has said, everybody wants to talk about the Biden administration versus the Trump administration and what is the government doing to force people on issues of conscience and executive orders and a lot of other stuff. And I think Rod would point out here that this particular story other than perhaps the tensions with the governor of Florida. This particular story doesn't have anything to do with the actions of government. The Supreme Court would have no power in this case in the sense that it's a really a story about employees and their employers. And Rod, in creating the term soft totalitarianism, Rod has, I think, made an important distinction between people who think, gosh, if we just had the right figure in the White House, everything would go great. Well, I mean, I'm not going to minimize the importance of politics, but whoever's in the White House at this moment in time doesn't affect the actions of Twitter, Facebook, ESPN, Major League Baseball, Apple, you know, and the huge powers that be in the world of media and in business. I mean, when Walmart, which just, gosh, if you looked back 20 years ago, everybody would have been talking about how Walmart was run by a bunch of evangelicals who lived in the Ozarks and they'd made billions of dollars. And that's like a danger to America that they're carrying certain books in their book section that others think are unsafe. That now, I mean, when, when groups like Walmart are kind of scared to get involved in social issues. All I need to do is bring up Chick-fil-A, you know, with the ongoing controversies. Imagine if Chick-fil-A got somehow involved in Pride Month. What kind of issue would that coverage? If Chick-fil-A made it a, a very open statement of saying, we will not do Pride Month. It's actually not a bad story to dig into what American corporations are doing Pride Month and which ones are not. Because if you actually look at corporate logos, just do any search. Go to Google, go to Google Images, and search for Pride Month, comma, corporate, comma, how about logos, L-O-G-O-S. And you're going to have this explosion of graphic arts of everybody trying to make sure that their customers understand their gung-ho about pride. Are, are you following the very interesting story right now that the evangelical publisher, kind of mainline Protestant side of evangelical, Eerdmans, 
came out with a pride message on Twitter the other day, and now we're beginning to hear that they they stressed we are all in favor of publishing books about debates about the trans era. We're great with publishing books about that debate, but other people are claiming they'll publish books that are pro-sexual revolution. They'll publish books that want to debate the sexual revolution, but they won't publish books that come out blatantly, strongly against the trans movement or against maybe same-sex marriage or something. That there's actually kind of like a three-stage situation going on here where you're, people are trying to be quietly moderate and avoid taking shots from either side. Well, Rod would say at this moment in our culture's history, there is no way to avoid taking shots from one side or the other on this issue. And if you look at the story about the Tampa Bay Rays through that lens, I think it's safe to say that management of that team chose what they thought would be the safely moderate stance that would avoid them massive amount of controversies with other media powers or with fans from churches, suburbs, whatever nouns you want to attach to this story here that would, in terms of affecting their bottom line, attendance or other controversies. Rod would stress this is a battle not about totalitarianism, not at this point in time. This is a battle about soft totalitarianism and whether people will symbolically bend the knee on issues of this kind. The heart of this story is why did Tampa Bay's management make this optional for their players? And does that have anything to do with the reactions they thought they would get from the left and the right or both? Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.